You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Hello and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 1st of November 2021. I am joined uh, as ever by uh, my co-host Andy Brockman. Remember, remember the 5th of November gunpowder treason and plot although it's actually not it's not been much treason going on at westminster this week more um venality and utter incompetence but, but you know there's that old saying uh, where's guy fawkes when you need him <laughs> well 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 uh, uh explosive rebellions or not i suppose maybe efforts but regardless of our our uh, treacherous status we are continuing with our watching brief um, in the in the context of our ongoing mission to discuss the archaeological news of the week and present it here for you guys to discuss and augment below. And this week, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I have not got my laptop in front of me. Uh, I used it yesterday in a school workshop and it's currently in the back of the car uh, with Mrs. Soup. So uh, I'm going to be taking more of a, a, a sort of a, an inquisitorial role today. I'm going to be the voice of the people asking you, Andy, questions. And uh, today we have a couple of main focuses, don't we? We have a focus on the National Trust and the so-called Restore Trust movement, uh, along with uh, some, some, as you described it, tectonic plates shifting in the world of metal detecting. So I'm, I'm intrigued by both of these. Well, the tectonic plates will come to that uh, later, but uh, in the way of tectonic plates, they're shifting quite slowly, but I think it's noticeable movement. But as you say, that's our second item. Um, our first item on the agenda is something that has been causing ructions for some time in Heritage World, uh, which is the culture war, mm. uh, or the so-called culture war, um, which has been driven by parts of the governing Conservative Party in Britain and elements of the media, particularly the Daily Mail and the Telegraph group of newspapers, which have got behind this idea that uh, academics and cultural organisations are basically um, bastions of woke, which is, uh, although it was actually originally um, a, a phrase that was designed to show that people were awake or woke to the ideas of racism and inequality and, and with a view to trying to combat those in society uh, it's now become a pejorative term at least on the on the on the right wing of politics mm. um, and a label to to do people down with uh, this particular part of the culture war um, it broke out last Saturday 30th of October um, people may be familiar with a program called today which is a, a long-running agenda-setting news magazine program on BBC Radio 4. Mm -hmm. uh, on 30th of October, the Today programme ran an interview uh, prompted by the fact that on that day, the National Trust had its annual general meeting. Mm. Um, now, there is a... Um, again, our, our viewer might be familiar with the controversy around a report that the National Trust commissioned a while ago into colonialism and 
historic links with slavery uh, in its properties. Mm -hmm. This was seen as a piece of uh, political, uh, politicised history and woke propaganda by certain elements of the uh, media arty. As opposed to the established narrative of increasingly uh, rumbunctious land um, grabs and holdings by the nation's wealthy and aristocratic. Uh, that's not remotely a political uh, narrative, is it? Uh, ab absolutely not. The, the idea that uh, somebody could uh, take over a vast swathe of the landscape, build a dirty great big house on it and then move the, uh, the local village out of the way if it was spoiling the view um, is... That's, uh, that's obviously just that's completely non-political. Yeah, not at all. Nothing, nothing to do with people. It's 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 it's, it's land. It's it's basic land management. It's exactly. Very, you know, it's it's yeah. really really simple. Um, but no, the, um, cut to the chase. Um, the report was was highly controversial. It was um, created by Professor uh, Karine Fowler of uh, the University of Leicester, mm -hmm. and a group of very highly qualified um, National Trust curators. Um, most of the, uh, most of them with uh, with PhDs, mm. um, you know. So it, it was an academically driven piece of work. Um, no, therefore, therefore, it's it's rife with cultural Marxism. I mean, clearly. Well, that is the argument. <laughs> that is the argument put forward by people <laughs> like a group. Yep. Um, a self-appointed group. Uh, a pressure group called Restore Trust. Yes. Uh, Restore Trust, get it? They yeah. don't particularly have much trust in the current leadership of the National Trust, so they want mm. to restore trust. Mm. Um, now, okay, you know, most pressure groups are self-appointed. People put uh, come up with an idea and they put it out in the public space, and if people want to support it, they do. Um, this one has gained a lot of coverage, mostly on the pages of the Telegraph group of newspapers and in the mail. Mm. Um, and it is headed up by the former city editor of the Telegraph, who's now the chief executive officer of a public relations company called Maitland, uh, a man called Neil Bennett. Um, on Saturday, on the Today programme, Mr Bennett was booked to talk about a series of um, motions that his organisation had put to the annual general meeting and also mm -hmm. um, the vote for members of the National Trust Council, uh, mm -hmm. of which uh, Restore Trust was endorsing six. Um, the, the National Trust Council is an advisory body. It doesn't actually run the National Trust, but it, it has an influence on National Trust policy. Yeah. Um, now... All, all well and good. It's a it, it's a piece of um, cultural current affairs. So the Today program might be expected to cover it, particularly on a Saturday program, which tends to have a less political agenda than the the weekday, the, the Monday to Friday version of the program. Mm -hmm. The problem came with um, the way the interview was conducted because. Uh, Although the National Trust and authors of the report were invited to take part in the programme, they chose not to. Now, it's probably understandable, given it was the day of the AGM. It might have been seen as politically you know, un uh, unacceptable and, and, and biased even to have a platform um, out, uh, outside of the, the meeting. Outside the room, um, yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't know that that's the case. Uh, what we do know is that the BBC has said that they were approached to take part and chose not to. Mm. Um, so rather than just interview Mr. Bennett in an inquisitorial way, the presenter, uh, Justine, uh, Justin, Justine, sorry, Justin Webb, male Justin Webb. Justin, Justine is Justin. Sorry, go on. 
Um, the, the, the producers booked Sir Simon Jenkins. Mm. Now, Sir Simon Jenkins is a very distinguished uh, public servant and former newspaper editor, journalist. He's currently a columnist in The Guardian. Um, but he also wrote a critical column recently, which was much uh, about the, um, the colonialism and, and slavery report. Um, which was seen as very anti the colonialism and slavery report, and in fact, the Guardian had Guardian had to print two amendments, uh, stroke corrections to the online version of the article after uh, complaints, and in fact, after a response from the National Trust itself. Right. So you have a BBC journalist kind of conducting an interview on the day of the National Trust AGM with a the leader of a pressure group which is highly critical of the the leadership of the National Trust and a journalist and um, commentator who has also been critical in particular of the colonialism and and, and slavery reports. So balance went out the window. You might say that the BBC probably wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, where, where, uh, when the interview went out, and, and if people are interested, uh, I've just this morning published a, a piece on the pipeline with a, um, a sort of um, annotated transcript of the entire interview so people can make up their own minds how the BBC handled it. Mm-hmm. Um, just to pick out a number of potential problems. Um, I mean, for, uh, obviously, the, the most fundamental one is that if you've got two people where there's at least there's a broad agreement on one particularly contentious area mm. then you might expect the presenter to try to um, moderate or inform or discuss that um, and put account of you um, for example put put the view of the report put the review of the trust as to why it commissioned the report Mm. That didn't happen. Mm. Um, then um, the later on in the interview, it went down as some strange little um, byways, such as um, try, uh, at one stage that um, Justin were picked up on a, on, a, on a comment by. Bennett that they'd love to have Sir Simon Jenkins back as chair of the National Trust, which he had been in the. Um, uh, about 10 years ago um, uh, uh, and um, saying, oh, this is what, you know, it, um, it, this, is, this, this is wonderful. Uh, Sir Simon, would, would you, would, would you go back? Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, um, it, it was trying to do a sort of um, radio gotcha moment, you know, uh, uh, and, and to his credit, actually, um, Jenkins said, yeah, that's not the point. That's not what we're here to discuss. Mm. Um, and again, to be fair to him, although he did, again criticise the report which has particularly angered the report authors um, he um, also put the point of view of the trust that was true when he was chairing it and is certainly particularly true now which is that the trust has to try and develop its audiences it has to take note of current scholarship and trends you know current trends and interest in scholarship the idea of decolonizing history um, is one that is absolutely current and right in current academic history um it, it's interesting i'm mean, gonna give you give you some idea of where restore trust are coming from um 
the website of Restore Trust uh, is it, it's quite um, quite plush, clean, crisp, uh, a lot of wordage. Um, but one of the things that happens, uh, and this might give you an idea of where they're, where they're coming from, mm-hmm. they complain that Professor Fowler and her team came up with a report that didn't cite the work of various authorities in colonial history. And they particularly regret that uh, Professor Neil Bigger of Oxford University and his Ethics of Colonial History project aren't cited. Now, what that what they don't mention on the website is that 58 Oxford historians wrote an open letter criticising the Ethics of Colonial History project and saying it asked the wrong questions using the wrong terms for the wrong purpose. However seriously intended, far from offering greater nuance and complexity, Bigger's approach is too polemical and simplistic to be taken seriously. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So you know, we're actually right at the heart of a very serious historical debate here really cutting to the chase the today program did not do that debate justice in any way or or, uh, or form i think but most most people looking at the transcript will probably agree i mean the thing is i, I might be wrong here but i seem to recall that an awful lot of this g- gathered traction not that long ago with uh, a suggestion that the charities commission was going to be investigating the national trust for its its quote-unquote agenda uh, and that they that this not only was a bit of a non-story but also that it, it was more or less based on the complaints of a handful of people um i mean restore trust claims to have tens of thousands of members uh, and and tens of thousands of pounds in the quote-unquote war chest on the spectator article that, that, yes. I, saw, that I saw a little earlier um it, how 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 correct is this? I mean, you've just you've just said that that they that they are they're complaining that a simplified version of uh, of colonial history isn't being um, being used for this national trust project. Uh, but how big is this complaint? How big should we consider this complaint to be? Given that, for example, Restore Trust seemingly failed to to get their their points voted through at the um, at the AGM, didn't they? They, they lost two out of the three motions that they were endorsing mm-hmm. uh, and um, three out of the six people that they were endorsing uh, were elected to the council, although um, a number of the people they were endorsing actually said, wait a minute, we, we are not standing on behalf of Restore Trust. I think there was, there was a sense that, that that endorsement was actually seen as toxic in yeah. some parts of the, um, of, the, of, the, of the trust. Look, when it comes to numbers, I think that that's one of the biggest things, you know, um, News programmes, not just today program, but many news programmes are criticised often for creating false binaries. Mm. That rather than put somebody up to have a, a, a detailed, in-depth debate interrogated by an informed presenter, they stick the presenter in as a referee and have two people beating seven shades out of each other, mm. intellectually, supposedly. Mm. And that's supposed to drive audiences and make good radio or good television. Mm. Um, I mean, this really was a very damp squib of the same idea, I think. Um, but there is a, um, a certain, as well, laziness about wanting to go after controversy because, again, it could drive, you know, it it, it drives interest. Mm. Um, when I was writing up the um, the article that's just gone up, 
um, I did the maths on uh, Restore Trust doesn't actually publish its membership figures on the website. No. But um, the Mail um, published an article claiming that Restore Trust has around six thousand members mm-hmm. altogether. Now it doesn't say that doesn't mean that all of them are necessarily members of the National Trust. Mm. Um, it it claims the support of a lot of ba- uh, backbench conservative MPs in particular, in particular a group called the Common Sense Group. Mm. Um, but in well, terms and, and of mass membership... Well, sorry, sorry, and, and just, just to be clear, I, I was quoting The Spectator where they, they claim 20,000 members, but nonetheless, 6,000 yeah. in, in the mail, yes. Yeah, yeah the mail claims 6,000, The Spectator claims 20,000. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, first of all, we always have to remember Mr Bennett Neil Bennett, who was on the Today programme, is a PR man, a journalist and a PR man. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is, uh, if you take the lower figure, the one that was in the mail, um, and that article was published before the one in The Spectator, uh, 6,000 members, even if they are all members of the National Trust, uh, the National Trust claims something like um, just shy of 6 million members nationally. Yes. so therefore, do the maths. Restore Trust represents one tenth of one percent of the entire membership of the organisation. Mm. Um, and yet, and yet, their their talking points are almost unopposed on a national radio station. Absolutely, and, and are a promoted by the government. Show, no less. Yeah. Absolutely, and are promoted by members of the government even. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Where, where does this go next then? Do you think uh, Resort Trust have made their point or do you think they're going to continue uh, and it's convenient for some people somewhere to, to have this, uh, this distraction of the so-called culture wars? Look, um, Restore Trust doesn't say where its money comes from. It doesn't publish its membership figures. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, it is typical of a lot of what are sometimes called astroturf groups. Mm. which are groups set up as, you know, they set up as pressure groups or think tanks. Um, they are funded in ways that are not subject to things like the Freedom of Information Act or political funding rules where you have to declare donations if you're a political party. Mm. Uh, it's a very American model, in mm. fact. Um, Restore Trust arguably is one of those. Um, they, in, I mean, in terms of media coverage, they punch well above their weight. Um, some people might think the links with particular media groups are um, no accident, mm-hmm. um, but there's no proof of that at the moment. Um, you know, they, they put forward a point of view, they put forward a highly partisan point of view. Uh, I suspect they're not going away anytime soon, as long as it suits um, the particularly the current government that mm-hmm. the so-called culture war is seen as advantageous to their political program. Yeah. And in terms of this particular interview, um, I'm, I'm not, uh, it may be that it's been subject to complaints to the BBC. I'm not sure about that um, in terms of fairness and so on. I know um, the, um, one of the things that prompted me to write the article was a, a tweet by Professor Fowler who said, capitals help needed to defend the At National Trust report from unjust attack by Simon Jenkins and Restore Trust on Saturday on BBC Today programme, just repeating the smears of the last 12 months. Mm. Um, and she's absolutely right um, in terms that the project has been smeared uh, as, as being poor quality and so on. Um, Jenkins himself gave it a gamma minus. 
um, yes. which I mean, if you read the thing, I think it, it is unfair. The thing is, it was stepping into a very contentious area quite consciously um, and, um, you know, did a responsible job on that. It has riled certain people um, that those kind of issues can even be raised. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Be, being aware of and apparently awake to uh, the civil struggles of other people. How how despicable. How despicable. Um, obviously, we'll probably ret uh, return to this or this story will continue uh, as time goes on. Um, but uh, now it's probably a good idea to move on to our second focus of the week, and that is... Uh, metal detecting and uh, well as you as you were just saying these slowly shifting sands or the slowly grinding tectonic plates thereof uh, what has been going on what have our friends in the metal detecting sector uh, been up to well uh, we're, 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 I think this, this item is a little bit chicken and egg mm -hmm. and um, it's a little bit um, sort of Indiana Jones and it's a little bit um, Oh God! What are the media doing now? Mm -hmm. um, but basically, what what prompted um, me to suggest we discuss this 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 week in in, in watching brief is a press release that was um, that came out two days ago on the third of November from Channel Four, mm. and um, the headline is, and we'll we'll link to it below the line. Um, more four links up with the British Museum to learn more about our hidden history. Yes. Channel, uh, and um, it basically um, goes on to say, Channel 4 has commissioned a new series, Great British History Hunters. Everything these days has to be Great British. Mm -hmm. So we've got the Great British Break. Ever, ever since the Great British Bake Off, mm -hmm. uh, everything has had to be Great British. Uh, there's, there's, there's not great saying about British Hollywood. Scoopers, there's the Great British um, uh, Fly Fishers. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, 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 exactly. It reminds me of the two of my favourite um, quotations about Hollywood. Um, one is from the, the late, great screenwriter William Goldman, who said that nobody in Hollywood knew anything, so they were constantly trying to remake the last hit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing uh, that is often uh, said about Hollywood is that Hollywood has uh, no beliefs and no uh, morals and doesn't believe in any isms except plagiarism. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, be that as it may, mm -hmm. um, the... Um, the series is from a production company called Tuesday's Child, mm. um, which is actually up until now, they're not known for historical content. Um, they're more known for things like ghost bus tours, um, uh, cannabis cafe pitch battle, um, and um, Britain's biggest super yachts. Okay. Uh, and also the Royal Television Society nominated series um, Superstar Dogs. No, I've nothing, no, got nothing against them for that, I have to say. Um, but in this case, they're taking on the coverage of the British Museum Portable Antiquity Scheme and the treasure process that is also administered at the British Museum. Uh, the treasure process isn't part of the Portable Antiquity Scheme. It's separate because it's a legal entity. Mm. But uh, the Portable Antiquity Scheme does use its expertise and the expertise of its regional finance liaison officers to inform the treasure process and write expert reports for coroners. So... Well, and what's interesting for me here is we seem to be entering a, a state where uh, the, the the lexicon surrounding uh, metal detectoring, detecting? Metal detecting um, yeah. has reached a point where they don't even have to, to describe it fully. So we're in that first paragraph. 
um, uh, because we commissioned great British history hunters from Tuesday Child following following the real life detectorists and the journey their fascinating finds make through British museums, the British Museum's portable antiquities scheme and treasure processes. Britain is a land of rich history beneath hidden beneath our feet, where millions of artifacts are yet to be found and can be and can reveal the secrets of our past. Did, 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 so following detectorists, apparently. It's it's a subtle thing, not metal detectorists, not not even hobbyists, as I've seen them described previously, detectorists. And there's also um, a slightly cliched photograph that accompanies this release, uh, where there's a guy dressed in a somewhat Indiana Jones-ish kind of costume. He's got a bag over his shoulder, his shirt, and a, a sort of fedora hat and brown trousers. Don't tell, don't tell Steven Spielberg. It'll happen for copyright. He's even got, a, he's got, even got a, it looks like a, a, either a Sam Brown belt or a shoulder strap with a, yeah. a, a bag on it. So yeah, is it a Land Rover? Um, yep, it's a Land yeah. it's a Landy. Yep, in front, outside the British Museum. In front of the British Museum. It, it's, it's. Yep. Uh, okay, go ahead. It, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Light and touch paper and retreat. <laughs> given give, give we go with the November the fifth analogies today, um, yeah. No, I'll, I'll happily light the blue touch paper. Look, mm. um, this the second paragraph is the giveaway about where this is coming from. Mm. Um, it, it, it says in part, this series will tell warm, characterful stories about ordinary people that are out and about all over the country making extraordinary discoveries every day. Whether metal detectorists, mudlarks or amateur archaeologists, they all have a passion for finding the missing pieces that help tell the story of our past. Mm. So basically, they're saying it's not entirely about metal detecting. Um, and the mention of mudlarks is significant because the Thames mudlarks in particular have been tied into the archaeological process for much longer actually than mainstream metal detecting in many respects. Mm. Um, it's a very high, mudlarking on the Thames is highly regulated. Um, you have to have uh, a, a permit to do it and you are required to report your fines. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's not like um, regular metal detecting where you only need the permission of the landowner and only have to report something if it comes under the uh, purview of the Treasure Act 1996. Mm. So they're, they're not just, this isn't just about metal detecting. Um, but and what they say, but what, what they say is, um, with unique access to museums, dedicated team of archaeologists, curators, conservatives and scientists, the discoveries are filmed from soil to gallery, revealing more history from the object at each stage. So again, they're trying to tie into the museum process, they're trying to tie into processes of study and so on. Um, and it points out that there have been over 1.5 million fines recorded with the Portable Antiquities Scheme since it came into being in 1997. Mm. That's all well and good and all absolutely correct and proper. You know, but, but this stuff does happen. It's perfectly reasonable for, any, uh, for a TV company to want to cover it. It's perfectly reasonable for the British Museum to uh, presumably punt this as part of its PR. Mm. Um, or cooperate with this as part of its PR. We don't know whether the, PR, whether the, the BM and the Portable Antiquities Scheme suggested the programme to Channel 4, or whether uh, somebody at the production company uh, came to them, or, or quite what's going on here. Mm. Um, there have been a number of metal detecting programmes in the UK um, either shown or punted since the success of Mackenzie Crook's Detectorists. Yes. Um, 
you know, so whether that's coincidental or not, um, again, uh, blogger Paul Barford was suggesting that, for example, a programme like this was being punted by the British Museum and the Portable Antiquities Scheme some time ago. Well, um, uh, according to the, to the press release, Sarah Saunders, British Museum's Head of Learning and National Partnerships, said... The British Museum's Portable Antiquities Scheme, PAS, is a unique partnership that brings together archaeologists, museum professionals, landowners and finders to better understand, appreciate and protect Britain's rich past. With the support of DCMS, the Department for Culture Media, sorry, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, the British Museum with uh, the Welsh National, the National Museum of Wales, um, they're proud uh, of its role in delivering the Portable Antiquities Scheme and administrating the Treasure Program process, reaching communities across England and Wales. We are delighted that this work will be highlighted by this new series which will showcase the hard work of the scheme and exciting discoveries uh, made every year by the British public. So given, given, given that, 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 that we have repeatedly um, and we always say in these instances that we're not, you know, we're not anti-metal detectorists, metal detectorists are a legitimate hobby, they blah 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 blah. Um, uh, and putting also to one side questions as to why it is that TV production companies see it as easier, presumably, to go to metal detectorists than they do to go to, to archaeologists and ongoing excavations, this kind of thing. I suppose a question would be, how does this fit in with the culture of metal detect detecting in this country at the moment? In so much as, uh, are they, are they, are they, are they, is this, this production company wading into uh, something which they don't quite necessarily fully understand? Is this culture subject to change in the near future? Obviously, the, there's, a, there's a review underway of the treasure, definition of treasure that's that's somewhat yeah. shelved at the moment, isn't it? It's sort of, it's in the long grass at least. Um, so, it appears to be, yeah. Yeah, so what's, uh, what, what, what's the context of this and what, what should we be looking out for? Okay, those tectonic plates. Um, I'll start with Great British History Hunters again because it, Another part of the press release highlights one of the problems that um, in, in, try, in trying to turn metal detecting into a character-driven, and TV loves character. Mm. One of the reasons archaeology programs have often, uh, no, I, actually, I'll, I'll say it in a different way. The, the archaeology programs that have worked on television for any length of time have um, had at their centre characters. Mm. Time Team was a cast of characters. Time Team was a police procedural. With, with with characters fulfilling certain roles, from the forensic scientist to the you know the the the, the, the slightly cranky head of the investigation. Mm. Yeah, um, one of our earliest uh, TV archaeology successes, Animal, Vegetable, Mineral, worked because of the chemistry um, involving the characters of Glyn Daniel and uh, and Sir Mortimer Wheeler. Yes, you know, yeah. uh, you can't get away from that. Television, you cannot do an academic report, uh, you know, a, a peer-reviewed article as a television programme, nobody would watch it. Even the professionals probably wouldn't watch it. No, but also to be fair, who's, who is trying, who is attempting to make that sort of programming anyway? I can't imagine an archaeologist would. That, no, no, that's a bit of a straw man argument. But the, the point is that archaeology to, to work on TV needs to provide what TV wants, yes. not what archaeology wants to give it. Hmm. Uh, it's a, it has to be a creative partnership, which can, that can mean critical friends, but it has to be a creative partnership. Mm. Now, one of the problems with this programme is that, for example, it talks about 
Um, let me just find the correct. Uh, here we go. Uh, we'll meet a colourful mix of finders, uh, including an 11 year old YouTuber finding Bronze Age gold, an Indiana Jones enthusiast. <laughs> there has to be one that's one. Actually, for strange enough, they don't mention Stonehenge at any point in this, which is probably to the good. Um, yeah, um, it's trying to break away from the idea that metal detecting is a male. Uh, preserve uh, middle-aged white men primarily uh, by saying that female detector is giving guys a run for their money, devoted dads and a host of other finders. But it also mentions war vets. Now, social media suggests that that is a reference to recording that was done with an organisation or company, in fact, called Detecting for Veterans. Now, re our regular viewer might remember that a few uh, about a month or two ago, we reported that Detecting for Veterans had collapsed amid accusations of fraud on the part of its owner. Mm. Um, now, investigations are ongoing. We can't comment on that. Um, but it is also the case that the owner of the company has applied to Companies House for it to be struck off. Now, it's not clear. I've got a, a request in the Channel 4 press office. Uh, it's not, uh, to, uh, but they haven't responded yet. Um, it's not clear whether Channel 4 or, or, or Tuesday's Child were aware that Detecting the Veterans has collapsed and whether they will still be included in the programme. Right. But you can see, you know, metal detecting is not uncontroversial. Hmm. Um, it, it, it's even not, it's, it, it's even not uncontroversial within the world of metal detecting. There's a, a, a battle lines have been drawn between traditional detectorists working on individual permissions and club permissions and the big commercial rally companies who are becoming the route for most the greater numbers of people into metal detecting these days mm. Mm. Uh, it's unclear whether that will be covered in the program mm. and it, that also brings me to those other two tectonic plates one is that the portable antiquities scheme has also just launched a very slick video um punting the content of the Code of Practice for Responsible Metal Detecting. Mm -hmm. Now, it's it's fronted by people like Helen Geek, um, Dan Snow, uh, 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 and others. It's a, it's a slick piece of work, um, and it is punting a Code of Practice which is not endorsed by the largest national organisation, which is the National Council for Metal Detecting, the NCMD. Um, the other thing is that it is associated and being pushed by an organization, uh, a new organization, uh, which is called the Association of Detectorists, the AOD, um, which has grown out of an initiative and a, a, and a, um, a, a feasibility study that was funded by Historic England. Mm. And uh, it sets out uh, basically as uh, an educational body to uh, promote uh, positive use of metal detecting to promote uh, promote best practice to offer training. Now, this has been seen by some people in the metal detecting community as a Trojan horse for bringing in regulation and even licensing by the back door. That if you haven't got an association of detectorist ticket, you won't be allowed to metal detect in most situations. Um, now, there is no proof of that, but mm -hmm. there's certainly a suspicion of that. Mm -hmm. um, and with the, the PAS putting forward uh, its own code of practice as opposed to the much looser code of practice promoted by the NCMD, um, some people might say that we are seeing a metal detecting frog being boiled. 
that the status quo is being changed incrementally mm. um, and that in the near future we may see a more regulated form of metal detecting in the UK. Right, and so uh, are you potentially suggesting that, that this sort of entertainment, edutainment show uh, is a way of aligning and getting into the public's mind the notion that good metal detectorists work with the portable antiquities scheme and therefore potentially whatever frameworks the, the PAS prefers them to work within. You might say that, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> I thought you might say that, I thought you might say that, but I just, I just thought I would, I would up some an element of my understanding of what we've just been discussing. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, um, I suppose that's that's more or less it for this this week's watching brief. Uh, it's a it's a uh, this is a, um, a a dispatch. I think this feels a little bit more like a checking in really for the week. Uh, it's uh, as I say, I think I've done quite well relying just on my phone and not, not having my laptop in front of me. And um, and tonight, obviously, it is bonfire night. Do you do you go out and celebrate? Do you uh, do you are there any local uh, explosions that you go to witness or or do you have to stay in with the dog we certainly have to have to manage indie uh, as our Ab absolutely and i will say um, any, anybody who celebrates like you know i have uh, friends who are for example involved in the lewis bonfire societies and and, and so on um and, and relatives living in sussex who, who mm. regularly visit regularly visit the the wonderful lewis event um but uh, you know, have, have an enjoyable one, have a safe one. Personally, um, we often go to the end of our road where we've got this fantastic view right across East London in, in, into Essex. So we can basically enjoy it. We, yeah, we can basically, you, you, well, you've seen it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, we can basically enjoy other people's displays. And uh, But yes, uh, yeah, stay, stay safe and look after your animals and make sure there are no hedgehogs in the, in the bonfire. And um, also, uh, yeah, we're at that, that time of the year for the, the big, you know, the, the equinoctial and moon festivals and the fire festivals and so on. So, you know, we, um, we had, uh, you know, Halloween last week, which we talked about. Um, last night, uh, we, we, and today, it, it, it's Diwali. And um, so whatever uh, people are celebrating, um, have a good one, enjoy. And um, I guess see you on the next Watching Brief. Yeah, we shall do, shall do. Light in the dark, light in the dark. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about watching brief as well as Diwali and, <laughs> and fireworks. <laughs> um, yes, guys, thank you for watching. Until next time, do take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com